In the past few years, we've heard a lot about mindfulness, the value of being present and noticing all the little things you can see and hear and feel, uh, feel and smell. It does seem that mindfulness has definite value for anxiety and stress and blood pressure. It's just a question of how much value, depending on who you hear from. There's something else about mindfulness, says Dr. Alex Burgoyne, a cognitive neuroscientist with the Attention and Working Memory Laboratory at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Hello, Alex. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. So the kind of mindfulness that lets you appreciate the flight of a bird or the smell of spring or the laughter of a child, etc., you've got no quarrel with that? No, absolutely not. Those are all great things. And I would add that for many people who might feel stuck in a rut, mindfulness might be seen as an antidote to living life on autopilot. Okay. And it's got psychological benefits for people who are stressed and anxious. But those benefits aren't as great as we assume. How do we know that? Well, there was a synthesis of research studies that showed that mindfulness-based interventions had small to moderate benefits for a number of health outcomes, including stress and anxiety, as you mentioned. So compared to no treatment at all, mindfulness interventions had positive effects. But here's the flip side to this whole issue. And that is paying too much attention to what you're doing can sometimes have damaging effects. Specifically, research suggests that one reason why experts sometimes choke under pressure is because they think too much about performing well-practiced skills instead of letting their muscle memory take over. When I was a boy, there was an episode of Lassie on TV uh, about 11-year-old Jeff and his collie dog. Lassie, and in one episode, the boy was throwing stones at tin cans on fence posts and trying too hard, and his dad said, don't think about it so much, and suddenly Jeff started hitting the cans. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's exactly the right idea. Uh, the only thing that I would mention is that it's important to pay attention when learning a new skill. You really want to be mentally present. But after a skill is overlearned, very well practiced, that is the occasion when it's sometimes better not to overthink it. And you quote the example of golf, don't you? Can you explain? Yeah, so there's been some research in this domain. Um, so I, I could share a couple studies with you. They had skilled golfers attempt to make putts under different experimental conditions. And in one of the conditions, the golfers were instructed to pay attention to the swing of their club the skilled golfers actually performed much worse when they were focusing on the swing of their club. In fact, the effect of paying attention to their swing was so damaging, the golfers were actually doing better when they were warming up before the experiment even began. That may explain mysterious lapses of form in golf, actually. We hear of famous golfers who are then useless for years, and then hopefully they come back and start playing well again. But that is quite common in golf, and maybe they're paying too much attention. Right. I've heard the superstition. You don't even want to say the word uh, that you're referring to. Um, the yips. Oh, no. I'm not a golfer, so maybe it's okay. Um, but, yeah, perhaps they are overthinking it. That could be one explanation. I'm not a golfer either. So if I'm driving to work or out for a walk, and I realize that whole city blocks have gone by without my being, you know, present in the moment. Uh, what is my brain doing? And should I feel guilty about that? 
It's, it's funny. I think we all do that to a certain extent. And in the case of driving, it's something we take for granted, even though the potential consequences are so dire. Uh, it's probably better to pay attention than to let your mind wander. Um, but I will say that when you're not paying attention, that's when your habits take over. So hopefully you've encoded, say, some good driving habits that enable you to coast on autopilot somewhat safely. Because if you've encoded bad driving habits, going on autopilot and not paying attention is going to make you even more of a menace on the roads, and you may not even be aware of all the trouble you're causing. Yeah, that's a very good point. If the kind of mindfulness light, Alex, that you're describing can remove stress and be helpful to people, we think what's not to like, uh, but the roots of mindfulness in history are deep. And the caveat is that it can lead you away from your sense of self and being attached to that self. And for better or worse, most of us like to have a self to be attached to. So is the fact that we seem to be absent-minded when practicing a variety of tasks quite well, is that the brain protecting us from going down a sort of self-negating rabbit hole? Uh, that's, that's an interesting thought. One of the keys of mindfulness is that it's about awareness of what we're thinking, feeling, and experiencing in a given moment, but without judgment. So it's really about accepting whatever those feelings or thoughts are. So I don't see mindfulness as necessarily self-negating. It might actually help people better understand who they are as counterpoint to your thought. The golfers who started overthinking how they play golf in fact, and this is one critical interpretation of doing too much mindfulness, isn't it? If the golfers steeped themselves in being mindful all the time, would they eventually, though, start to wonder why they were playing golf at all? Because it wouldn't matter whether they won or lost. You know, being at one with the universe is more important. <laughs> you might be right, but as a member of the unenlightened, I really wouldn't know. I'm still very much tied to my worldly pursuits. For me, it's music, not golf. But um, I haven't crossed that barrier yet, uh, and I'm still very much tied to the ideas of wanting to be better, even if it's ultimately for no reason at all. <laughs> yes. Okay, you're into music. How much mindfulness do you use in your own life then? Probably not as much as I could. Uh, so I typically, I'm in academia. That's my day job, right? So I typically work till around seven or eight each night, and then I retreat to the balcony, try to catch the sunset if I haven't missed it. And that's usually my moment. If I'm going to practice some amount of mindfulness, it'll be then and there. And after I've done that, I like to pick up the guitar and start practicing. So I, I do find that it helps me find my center a bit and um, shed the work day so that I can turn my attention to other things. And it's, it's been useful for me in that context but I could probably stand to do more of it. I'm, I'm an anxious individual. I'm consumed with my work. I feel that it, sometimes I worry that it's almost self-indulgent to take a moment for mindfulness. And I'm sure that's the point, is that it can really help you. But I'm still grappling with this whole work-life balance, and so it's posed a challenge for me. Yeah, and a lot of people will be in that camp and understand exactly what you're saying. So we mm -hmm. haven't mentioned the word that's the opposite of mindful yet. So we are talking about ways we function more efficiently mindlessly than if we were being mindful. Once we've learned something, it's quite a good idea just to be mindless. Exactly. 
You don't need to pay attention to the step-by-step -step execution of tying your shoelaces to do it correctly. And one of my favorite examples is reading. You know, most of us are very well-practiced readers, but the amount of cognitive processing that goes on under the surface while we're reading a book or reading an article online is absolutely incredible. And most of that cognitive processing happens almost instantaneously without our awareness. So think about it. When you're reading, you're looking at little squiggles on a page, but just looking at them, you instantly recognize those squiggles as letters that are parts of words. And what's more, you nearly instantly know the meaning of those words as they pertain to the context of the sentence they appear in. Automaticity is everywhere when we look at these overlearned skills. So research shows that when you take an overlearned skill and have a person pay attention to the mechanics of it, you can actually disrupt that automaticity and make them less efficient at it. They can perform worse because they're overthinking something that we would say has been proceduralized. It's been made automatic. Attention is no longer required. Yeah, and that's the really important point, isn't it, from your research. We can, yes. <laughs> we can just think about things too much. And it's relaxing not doing that. I mean, mindfulness is supposed to, and does, I'm sure, ease anxiety, but it's more relaxing often, I'm inferring from what you're talking about, just not thinking too much about what you're doing. Well, ignorance is bliss, and that's the issue I <laughs> grapple with, right? We, we want to be present, but sometimes the present moment is challenging. And, yeah. you know, we want to escape. We don't want to dwell on the present moment or the present feelings. We'd prefer to suppress those feelings. So that's that's the struggle of it. And I think for those that it benefits, I think that's why it helps them is because it's this non-judgmental way of confronting the moment and coming to terms with it. I'm glad you used the escape word because by hook or by crook, we all have a version of wanting to, don't we? Absolutely. <laughs> Interesting research. Thanks for your time as well. Thanks so much, Jim. This was a pleasure.